Montague Toplady. An Englishman was a, uh, a tremendous reform scholar, died of tuberculosis at age 38. I have an old book that I purchased years ago that's entitled The Last Words of Saints and Sinners. Some very positive and some uh, horrifyingly negative. Top lady, his final words. And listen to these as we go to pray. He said, light, light, I see light. Let's pray together. Father, we come today to worship you, as Christ told the Samaritan woman at the well that his people worship in spirit and in truth. And so we worship you spiritually in our hearts, and we worship you as we come to the truth of your scriptures. We've come to praise you from our innermost beings. With our souls, our very souls, we praise you today. We praise you for who you are, and we thank you for what you have done, for the benefits that you have brought to our lives. Our sins are forgiven and separated for us as as far as the east is from the west, to be remembered no more. You have redeemed us. You have purchased us out of the realm of darkness into the realm of light. You bring us satisfaction to our lives. We know what it is to have much, to have little, and you are the one that comforts us and satisfies our souls. You renew us, and I call upon you to renew all of us in this room, that we would be spiritually energized, that we would be ever so thankful, that we would be ever so obedient for all that we have in Christ. We would pray that you would make the the scriptures a way of life in our lives, that we would love to have the book on our lap and to to pray and enjoy you. I thank you for this worship experience with these fellow believers today. I thank you for their, their energy and their joyful hearts. We ask you to be with us in the coming minutes, as you have been in the preceding time. Enable us to push out of our minds the cares of the day and the calendars of today and this week that we would focus on you and on your word and what your word tells us about yourself and about us and what you require of us. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. I'm very glad to be here. See, people say that every week. I'm going to say it differently. I'm going to say, good morning. I'm very glad to be here. However, 
Who is that? What's this however? I had a, a, a bit of reluctance when Russell asked me to preach at, at this church. My wife and I have family in the area. I've, I've worshipped here. But you see, what I have in mind is the last time that Russell invited me to preach. Then I admit I was running a little bit tardy and I arrived at the, at the church building just two or three minutes before it was time to begin the worship service. There were two cars in the lot. Russell may not remember this. There were two cars in the lot. And I said, Russell, didn't you tell them that I was coming? He said, no, but it looks like the word got out. <laughs> so I'm glad to be here. Do you have any recollection of that, Russell? Not at all? It's not true, of course. As Russell mentioned, I was a pastor in Fort Lauderdale for 10 years and in Macon for 14 years. So it was four years of church planning before we got in the building. And we had a, a, a pulpit, a standing desk, as I called it then, built by one of the men in the church, just as, as this was. And so for 10 years, here's the pulpit. I was a freak to sit in the front of the church for a lot of years as, as well. And now... The worship room at, at North Macon Presbyterian is, is wider than it is deep. So you can imagine there's a long back row. Uh, and so now, instead of the years of the pulpit, I'm on that long back row with grandchildren and grandchildren and, and grandchildren. And I use my iPad and an NIV app to give big print to to our oldest grandchildren that are 10 and, and one is 8. And so when they see that, that text on the iPad, then, then the older one colors it and underlines it and all these things that I don't know how to do. But it gives them a longer time to have the scripture as opposed to uh, the very small print of a, of a pew Bible, for example. Now once when Jesus was praying... He said this, Father, as you have sent me, I have also sent them. So the first thing that the scripture has for you today is to know that, that you have been sent by the Father. The majority of the world does not know of the love and the hope and the security that is in Jesus Christ. And for your personal world, your sphere of influence, most of those people don't know of the love and the hope and the security found in Jesus Christ. Since many of us are about the same age, the fellows, not the girls, isn't it dreadful when you consider the changes in our cultures during our adult lives. So that the land of the free and the home of the brave indeed has deteriorated to becoming the, the third most needy mission field in the world. 
And primarily this was due to people in the church, me, some of you, permitting Satan to achieve his greatest victory in the history of the church. You see, 95% of the American church doesn't witness. And you could say, it's, it's Joe, he's been to school. It's Assistant David, David's been to school. And so 95% of the army of God folds. Maybe your percentages are different. Maybe your heart is different. This morning I want to talk about uh, an incident in the scripture when four friends bring an incredibly needy man to Jesus Christ. I don't want you to see yourself as we read this passage and discuss it. You're not one of the people in that room of that house and you're not on these comfortable chairs in the air conditioning. But for the purposes of the next few minutes, see yourself as one of the friends that's holding a corner of this stretcher, makeshift stretcher, that takes this man to Jesus. See yourself as part of the action. The people in the world with whom we rub elbows... Regardless of their exterior, they're characterized as follows. They have a hole in their heart that only God can fill. And they may present themselves with great bravado, but they're characterized by loneliness, boredom, guilt, fear, and worry. So many would say, I've tried God, I'm not into that. So God doesn't mean you to fulfill your sentness by yourself. As the Father has sent me, so I have sent them. God is looking for consistent Christians whose walk is admirable and consistent. And then who are able to talk about the source of their walk. So God is looking for consistent Christians. There's a passage in Chronicles where it says, The eye of the Lord ranges throughout the world looking for those who are truly committed to Him. So as He looks through this lake area, May he find on these chairs people who are truly committed to him. So let's look at this scripture now in Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. One day as he was teaching... Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present 
for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and, and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things here today. I want to thank your office for giving me uh, three points, but there's six. Two through six are short. I want you to see that these four men exhibit at least six characteristics. And so the out, that's the outline of the sermon. And I'll mention it again and again and again. Six characteristics of these men who cared enormously for a man that was paralyzed and spiritually was dead. We've got to get him to Jesus. We've got to get him to Jesus. He's coming to our village. That's awesome. Let's find a way. We'll have to carry him. It's the only way. So we'll divide his weight in a mat. We'll construct a mat. And then four of us can get him there. It'll be hard. It's, it's not right next door. But we can do it. Because of our love and compassion for our dear friend. We want him to be our brother in Christ. So they're concerned about their friends. So the first of, of six characteristics is they have compassion. As Paul talks about love in 1 Corinthians 13, if I have all manner of gifts and am not loving, it doesn't count. And so it is. The number one reason 
why people aren't more concerned with the deeds of people that seemingly are outside of Christ. Is we don't think that we can really share anything because nobody's taught us. And we have various fears, and these fears have been multiplied as the decades go by. And so we become preoccupied with ourselves, our stuff, our calendar, my this and my that and my agendas and my needs and my plans. Well, has Jesus thought about his church? And he says in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the salt of the earth. This is before the days of of salt shakers. Salt was used as a preservative. What will preserve our world, our nation, from absolute putrefaction and decay? You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. In the book of John, Jesus says that he is the light of the world. In Matthew, he says, you are the light of the world. And indeed, we are the only source of light in a dark world. So we're preoccupied. We don't mean to be that way, but Satan just keeps us deflected. The number two reason is that we're rarely with Christians. You all are wonderful. If we had dinner together at my sons, my son-in-law that are nearby, and you were there to enjoy what those guys cook on the grill, it would just be a great time with everyone here. I'm certain of that. And being together with other Christians is one of the greatest things that you'll enjoy on this earth, isn't it? But we haven't, for the most part, invited non-Christians into our lives. And how will they know about salt and earth and the sweetness of Jesus if we don't do that? Compassion. We're preoccupied. We haven't invited. And there's also the necessity of prayer. Prayer will bring you concern for people. You said, how do I pray? Well, first of all, you could pray that God would soften their heart. Isn't that the most logical thing to say? Father, give them a heart of flesh. Make them willing. Make them understand. Put your grace into their hearts. So we pray for God to soften their hearts. The next step, after you've prayed, I know this is the day of high technology to which I am a stranger. So here's my technology. It is a three by five card. And I've got the names of, of three people there. So when I ask God to soften my heart or soften their heart, then I also want him to soften my heart. And so I have a list of, of three people. And I was talking to a fellow last uh, yesterday afternoon at the gym, and I want to add Jamal. Joe Liz. Ben Jamal. I'm not Billy Graham in a tent. It's a three by five card with a couple of names. All you need is one name. And just say, Lord, would you soften their heart and would you use me in their life over the next six months, nine months, twelve months? Use me in their heart. 
So we pray for each of these people, just one person, whose God has put into your sphere of influence. Because you have a spiritual responsibility to all of the people within your sphere of influence. In the providence of God, you are the one that rubs rub elbows with all of those people. And what you, the folks with whom you rub elbows, you don't, for the most part. So we need compassion. That's the first of the six points. That's the long one. Secondly is faith. They believe that Jesus would heal their friend, physically and spiritually. Look at verse 20 in the, on the text. Because of their faith, the faith of the group, the faith of the four, the faith of the people on the pews, your faith is remarkably important in terms of seeing people come to Christ. Whose faith? Plural. Their faith. The paralyzed man doesn't have any faith at that point. The faith of the friends. The people in your sphere of influence in reality are loaded with guilt and shame and loneliness and grief. And they have no idea that Jesus can help them. All of us live in a spiritual world, a spiritual battle for the souls of people. Father's Day, one of my first memories as a father, our firstborn was a son. And we laid him when he came home in a shoebox, because that's where he fit, with this black thing on him. I didn't know what that was, so I took it off. So as I'm, as I'm carrying this little infant around, that I'm carrying a, uh, a hymnal, and I'm singing him at three days old, the great hymns of faith. And as I look at that little tiny guy with that black thing on him, then I'm aware of there's a spiritual battle for the souls of people, my children, your children, for you, for everyone in your family. God wants to use your faith. The faith of believers is vital. Now, here's two quick stories to illustrate. Have you ever met someone whom you thought was spiritually hopeless and that you would say to your spouse or to somebody in your family, one of your friends, maybe it's a guy on the golf course that throws the most clubs. That guy is hopeless. So years ago, PCA pastor Randy Pope, whom the Lord has used magnificently in his generation, was a student at the University of Alabama. You might say, well, they need Christians there. So he had a disciple with whom he was working. And he told the disciple, listen, one of the things that we do as believers is pray for people who are not yet believers. Hmm. Okay. So here's the assignment that Randy gave this disciple. You might think this is an easy assignment. This is what it was. I want you to find the person on the campus of the University of Alabama whom you think is the least likely to ever believe. So 
the least likely? Couldn't we start with the most likely? No, you find the least likely. So he comes the next week and he says, yeah, one of the baseball players, there's just no way. Uh, he lives in one of the animal dorms, the athletic dorms, and this guy is awful. That's what the Reverend Al Baker told me when we were catching up a little bit. Maybe Al Baker has been here. And a story that's closer to home. It's one of the most amazing things that ever happened to me. I was a seriously committed, angry, hostile unbeliever. And I moved a thousand miles from the D.C. suburbs to a city where I could live my life as a constant vacation in Fort Lauderdale. And the truth is, a beer commercial changed my life twice. The first time, years ago, Schlitz was a a well-selling brand of beer. And they had a commercial that changed my life because I became convinced that the Bible wasn't true. History, the Bible is only history written from one perspective. Jesus, truth of the Scriptures, none of that is accurate. And so the Schlitz ad came to me and it said, you may remember, you only go around once, so you need to Grab all of the gusto and corruption you can. So I said, that's it. So I moved to Fort Lauderdale. And I'm a young physical therapist in a hospital. And we had, I lived in an apartment building with people that were just my kind of people. We were terrible. One day I kicked, off, kicked the door off of the apartment building. No real reason. It's just I was up early and I wanted other people to get early and I'm not opening the door this morning. So 10 years later, I'm not, 30, I'm not 22 and a pagan. I'm 32 and a pastor. So I'm, I'm at a pastor in the town where I was converted. Seven years after my conversion, when I was just absolutely at the end of my rope, there I am as the pastor. So I'm in the lobby of the Holy Cross Hospital in Fort Lauderdale. Deja vuing. So thankful for what the Lord had done in my life. 22 years age of pagan, 32 years the reverend. So I'm walking across the lobby. Oh, so thankful to God. And someone shouted, listen, if you go to your new hospital, the, the branch of St. Mary's right down, you sit in the in the lobby and see how long it takes somebody to shout. So the, the shouted voice was on me and the shout was, David Todd! It's not the intercom. It's a loud woman. And she asked a question at great decibel. Did you ever find Jesus Christ? Who is that? I said, yes. She said, here, here I am. And she identified her, herself by name. said, I remember you. You were the manager of the corrupt apartments. And she would always ask us 
Don't mail the check. I've got an office in this building right by the pool. Just bring it in and tell me how you're doing and so forth. And she was a Christian compiling her list. I don't know if she had the wisdom to use a 3 by 5 card or not. So she said, I want to know about Jerry Young and Scott DeBrower because I used to pray for David Todd, Jerry Young, and Scott DeBrower. So I said, wow, you did that for us? There was nothing in us that would lead anybody to think, I think those guys will be converted soon and have Christian wives. But it happened to Jerry Young and it happened to Scott DeBrower. So I gave her that report. Then she was gone and I've never seen her again. But I think about her when I walk through hospital lobbies. These people that seem to you like they're so far from the Lord, don't worry about that. Doesn't the word say, with God, all things are possible? These men had faith, and they were confident. The book of Colossians is about the power of God and the the wonders of God sending Christ. And in in the fourth chapter, the final chapter, Paul writes this. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Jesus said, Go out into the highway and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. So we can invite people. Compassion and faith, a third word that you can understand with this, these fellows. Persistence. Well, maybe somebody that you're talking to doesn't respond the first time. They say, see, I tried. Nothing happens. I knew they were lost. They'll never change. In sales, fellas, ladies, don't they say it's the sixth time, seventh time? So let, don't, don't let difficulties discourage you. They may not respond initially. And probably you didn't respond initially either. But they weren't discouraged. The men in the narrative are not discouraged because... They find themselves so close to Jesus, but they can't get in the door. Probably the thing that discourages you the most is fear of criticism. Man, these guys are going to reject me. Who walks around with an, with an R on their, on their shirt or blouse saying, rejection, that's what I love. Just reject me. So remember what Paul writes to Galatians as he concludes that book. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for at the right time we will reap a harvest if if we don't give up. I once memorized a speech that Winston Churchill gave. It was easy because he came back to his school and he said, never give up and repeated it four times and sat down. So you could memorize that Churchill speech too. Compassion and faith and persistence, they dared to do something different. 
innovative. Verse 19, they went up on the roof, removed some of the tiles, and led him down right in front of the king of the universe who was talking to people. Who could have thought of that solution? Here's the answer. People who prayed. Lord, this is going to be exciting. We're going to get our friend to Jesus. Then they said, whoa. I'm not sure what we're going to do. Well, let's pray about it. Maybe the Lord will give us a word. Because we need one. We don't know what to do. So they dared to do something creative. An extreme measure? Well, they got their paralyzed friend to Jesus. So it was worth it. The next narrative in in Luke 5 is the conversion of Matthew. And the next night he throws a great party for all of his friends so that they can meet Jesus. Takes cooperation. Takes cooperation. Four men bring one man to a house. Here's what Paul writes along this line in 1 Corinthians. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a servant to everyone. To win as many as possible. For example, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this, he says, for the sake of the gospel. Compassion, faith, persistence, Innovative, all, all things, to all men, so that some men will be saved. In your heart, consider what you are doing so that one person will come to Christ. What are you willing to put up with? Thank you for your your mercy in singing a classic hymn to a different tune. The first time I heard that tune, I just thought, whoa, just sweeping, beautiful. At our text in Macon, well, years ago I asked myself a question, what am I willing to do so that the next generation will believe? Well, there's a a PCA ministry, the RUF chapter at Mercer University in our town, and we have 40 or 50 Mercer students, and sometimes we sing their tune to my favorite hymns. Like for all the saints, the first time I heard that. I mean, they're singing with gusto, and I'm saying, what is that? I lose the majesty of that hymn. But they they see their version and say, wow, it's a wonderful hymn for all the saints who from their labors rest, who thee by faith thy word confess." You mean you're asking me to have hymns change their tune? Sure. 
Because we're talking about faithfulness to Christ and not tunes. Jesus said, I'll make you a fisher of men. Do you realize that's the first commandment that he gave? So here's his commandment in that verse, and then a promise. Follow me. Mark 1.15, men are converted. Mark 1.17, this is what he says to his first team. Follow me. And in order to change the world, I will make you fishers of men. Doesn't it sound in that verse like the responsibility is on him? He's the Lord of the harvest. The last thing he says, Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes on you in his power and his responsibility, you'll be my witnesses. And I'll even tell you how you can do it in, in a concentric fashion simultaneously in Jerusalem, in Judea. Everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. I'll make you fishers of men. Is fishing pretty easy in this area? I don't have a clue about fishing. Other than Mark 1.17, I can do that. The real fishing, and as, I, as we drive in here every time, you see uh, the car parked at the end of the bridge and see some lone angler with his line in the water. I'm not a very good fisherman. But you know, the first thing that a fisherman does, you won't believe this. He goes to a place where the fish are. The committed fisherman goes where the fish are. Sometimes he has to go through some thorns and sometimes the water is cold. The committed fisherman is willing to do whatever it takes. He gets up early. Maybe it's the moon, maybe it's the tide. I told you I don't know. Jesus said as a, as a summary purpose of his life, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I believe that God wants you to be part of that team. I hope that you've seen yourself as one of the individuals that's carrying that stretcher. We began by saying in the words of Christ's prayer, Father, as, as you have sent me, so I have sent them. So there are spiritually paralyzed people all around us. And God has given you a distinct sphere of influence. And you can put your high-tech 3 by 5 card in your Bible so that when you open your Bible and it's on your lap, you can say, oh yeah, Joe and Liz and Ben, Lord, use me in their lives. Use your servant. So here's the question. Will you help carry the stretcher? Let's pray together. Father, in our hearts, we do have a love for you and a love for those that don't know you. Show us that the great tact 
of Satan is to just deflect us. And the longer we're deflected, the farther we are from our target. So, Father, we come to tell you this morning, a beautiful day, a beautiful building, people who love you with all their hearts. We would praise that you would pray that you would use your servants for his honor and for his glory so that some people will be saved. And we pray in his matchless name, the God of grace, the Lord of love, the King of kings. Amen. Receive the benediction of God. Now unto him who loved you and loosed you from your sins in his own precious blood. To him be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.